for just yet. Hey. Verse 19. So glad for this group. My life's been changed in this community and really touched my life. And if you're not thankful for this group, you should be. Or maybe you don't know anybody here. Uh, (laughs) Get to know somebody because this is just a really, really rich family of just godly people and it's like a drink of water a big drink of water for me on a hot day like yesterday to know I'm coming here stand with me for the reading of God's word Acts chapter 9 19 halfway through 19 I, should, I probably should turn there too Oop. okay here we go for some days he being Saul was with the disciples at Damascus And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed. And they said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of all those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose but to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Verse 23. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, for they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem... He attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them that how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed then against the Hellenists. But they were seeking to kill him. <laughs> and when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So, the church throughout all Judea and Galilee, Samaria, had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. This is our word. Can I have a seat or stand? Whatever you choose, I'm going to pray for help and light, faithfulness. Jesus, you are the Son of God and the Christ, and your name will be lifted high and exalted among your people this morning in this gathering. If I have anything to do with it, it will be. I pray that you come in with your revelation for no one knows the Father except the Son and no one knows the Son except the Father and those whom he chooses to reveal. Just reveal yourself to this community this morning. That comes from you. I pray for revelation of who you are because this changes us. I believe in the power of your word and I stand here and I just I pray for, for help because I'm just a man. 
And this, this isn't revealed by flesh and blood, but it's revealed by the Father. So come in with your revelation, reveal to us your message. Speak to, speak to people in this room who are just in the middle of just crazy transition, whether it be uh, guys and gals who have just graduated high school or college and are in transition and aren't 100% sure how things are going to happen. Speak to them. Speak, be the North Star to their heart. Be their compass this morning. To the parents or, or anybody who's just in the middle of just bouncing around from graduation parties and, and, and open houses and everything that needs to get taken care of right now. God, come in and be the loudest voice in our head. We are, we are aiming all of our hearts and eyes at you because in you is life. It's the light. You are the light of men. So come shine in with that light that is shining in the darkness and has not been overcome by it this morning. Changes. This is not just another day where, where, where nothing's going to happen, where we're just bored. Just come in with your power, just like, you, just like you do time and time again, and change our hearts. Pray for good soil for your seed. You're the gardener. In Jesus' name, amen. So today's message is about Jesus being the Son of God and the Christ. And what's going to happen is, is we're going to look how that will change your life in the immediate context and in the eternal situation. This is, this is very relevant to all of us. But before we do that, usually since um, we kind of do... us here, we discuss Stephen... Hello. There we go. I turned it on. <laughs> Sorry. Shirts. Okay. Might be a little too loud. I don't know. I sometimes I talk quietly and loud. We'll just we'll just keep it. Bear with me. Stephen. That's where we were. Stephen. Normal guy, not an apostle. Normal guy who became a Christian. His life changed by Jesus, the Son of God, and he came in and walked in the promises of 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 from God and just. He got killed for it. He's not an apostle. He just, it blows me away because I think that's mainly why his testimony is in the scriptures. To show us, normal people, what life is like post-Jesus encounter. Uh, we looked at uh, Philip a couple of times. Philip, who, who just was walking again in the promises of God and in healing people and casting out demons and then being caught up and taken to the Ethiopian eunuch and just and, and, and teaching him and showing him Christ through Isaiah 53, the sheep before shears, the lamb went, is silent, right? And, and, and we learned that from Neil. We, we saw Simon the sorcerer, where Peter was able to confront him on his selfish ambition and, and preach to him about not going after the gifts, but going after the giver and getting with God about this. Um, and, and probably, yeah, the most recent encouragement has been from 
Saul. The man who at the beginning of chapter 8 is described as still breathing out murderous threats to the Christians or or to the people of the, the way. Do you get that? He is so involved in threatening and and in wanting to murder that it has become like breath to him. He's he's breathing this out. And this man encountered God and his life has changed. Encountered the Son of God and his life has changed. Amazing how the last thing we have him saying as a, a, a persecutor, a terrorist, is who are you? Lord, and the first thing that we hear him saying as a Christian is, Jesus is the Son of God. Yes, he got that, an- that question answered. And it's, that's just filling my heart with joy that God wants us to know that his amazing power in all of these people's lives, that he's working transformation now, and he has been doing it since the beginning, transforming people's lives no matter who you are. Old or young, he is, he is able to come in and we give him glory for all these stories of men and women in Acts who are transformed by Jesus being the Son of God. Today we will look at a description of what happens to somebody who has been hit by the semi, the Mack truck, Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. You cannot tell me after you've been hit by a semi that you have not been hit by a semi. You guys might remember we used to do some simple church gatherings in Applebee's. A while back, and, and one night we had this gal walk up to the table, and, and she just had some major, Jesse was there, she had some major issues. I mean, not in a, I mean, she just was different, and she looks at us and says, I'm here for half off, and you should probably know I got hit by a semi-truck. <laughs> and I'm, it, it occurred to me, it's just like, you can't deny it. I mean, you might as well just, just... Let it out there. I am different now. I am changed. And this morning we have a description of the same thing. And I say the word description because that's what we have a lot in the book of Acts is things describing. And I believe in my heart that at the, at the center of, of every description there is something to be prescribed. We just have to get there. No, it is not mandatory to be lowered out of a wall or, or, or to be in Damascus and be a Christian. But the heart of what's going on here is, is that he is changed and he, he's being radical for Jesus. So, so, so we, we will find as we mine in the descriptions of Acts things that we will, will allow our hearts to be changed by radically. Okay, And so today we're going we're gonna to mine a description of Saul and what has happened to him. It's for his testimony. Um, and so, yes, we'll, like I said, we will look at two ways how the Son of God, Jesus Christ, changes your life immediately and how he changes your life eternally. And here we go, one verse at a time. Verse 20, because 19 is only half a verse. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Verse 20. Immediately, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the Son of God. And I'll turn your eyes to 22. What else he said was, he is the Christ. Which is not a foreign concept. It's not an isolated incident that, incident that Saul is preaching that Jesus is the Son of God and the Christ. This is, this is reality um, for anybody who knows all the prophecies. The high priest said it to Jesus even in questioning. Did he not say, are these things true? Are you the Christ, the Son of God? 
Um, John dedicated his entire gospel to this one purpose, John 20, 31. These things have been written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing in him, you may have life. Okay, so this is what Paul's preaching. It's not only Paul. It's, it's, it's the story that we need to, to get in our hearts. And I want to figure out why this is the thing that he preached first. Because I think that there's significance here. So... Let us look at Saul under the canopy of God changing his immediate life and then the fuel for his immediate life being changed is the eternal implications that come with it. Here we are in a synagogue. If you don't know what a synagogue is, it's simply a place where people gather to gather around the word. Um, it's, not, it's not anything super special, it's just a place dedicated for gathering around the word. What I'm going to try and do is to figure out why Saul was preaching this first, it's just kind of, maybe we can, we can have fun with it and, and recreate the situation and see maybe what he could have said, and hopefully by the end of that we'll, we'll feel some gravity as to why he was preaching this way. So Saul was a Pharisee. We'll use the things that we know about him to do this, okay? I'll be Saul, you be the Jews in Damascus, or Damascus means whatever you choose to be, and uh, we'll, we'll be in the synagogue here for a moment. Um, he was a Pharisee. Pharisees believe in expounding on the scriptures, so that's good. He's going to probably then take something from the Old Testament and then expound on it and then show the Son of God through it. I will be looking in Isaiah. So, I'm Saul. You've expected me to come, maybe give you some, uh, some stories about persecution and, and how I, uh, or mockings even, of the Christian. Uh, they didn't call Christians yet, but the followers of Jesus, um, and so you know I'm coming because I see the response here. Uh, is this not the man who came to, with letters to, to bring away the Christians to jail, right? So you know I'm here. You know who I am. This is no secret. Here I am, Saul. I will be reading from the prophet Isaiah. And have chapters, but we do. So I'm going to do chapter 9 and some from other areas. I, Saul of Tarsus, have gospel for you. Everyone who has an ear to hear, listen up and let them hear. Isaiah chapter 2. No, chapter 9, verse 2. He opens the scroll and reads. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shined. I, Saul, once walked in the darkness, and I proclaim to you, the light has been shined on me. I once lived in the land of deep, deep darkness, but God has shown his light into my life. Verse 3, you have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as the joy at harvest, and they're glad like when they divide the spoil. I, Saul, am full of this joy that I didn't have before. It has been put inside of me like I have a whole new heart, like it was hard before, but now it's been made of flesh. I cannot stop rejoicing. It's like reaping from the harvest, or it's like the feeling of dividing spoil after a victory. And it has been a great victory indeed. Verse 4, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder. 
and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as in the day of Midian. I was once in chains. I was once a slave. I had the yoke of slavery on me. But I tell you the truth. The yoke has been broken and I have been set free and I now declare freedom for the captive. For anyone who will join me. But if you won't, verse 5. Every boot of the trampling warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. I see now the end for which I was toiling. Like I was, I was on a direct path for a fire. And you will be too unless you join a fire that is unquenchable, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We need a Savior. We need a Messiah. We need the Christ, someone who will come and save us from this blazing fire. And behold, verse 6, to us a child has been born. A son has been given His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, for He is God, Prince of Peace and Everlasting Father. The the rule and extent of His government, there shall be no end. He will reign and rule on the throne of David. He will uphold and establish it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. I declare to you This word has become flesh and it has dwelt among us and we have rejected it. Again, Isaiah speaks of this man for kings will shut their mouths because of him, he says. For that which they have not seen, they they understand. And that which they have not heard, they know. Who has the Lord revealed himself to? He's before him like a, like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He did not have any majesty that we, should, that we should look to him or any beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected among men. A man of many sorrows and well acquainted with grief. A man from whom men hide their faces. He was rejected, and we esteemed him not. But surely this man, he has borne our griefs, and he has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded. Yes, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment was laid on him that has brought us peace. We are healed by his stripes. All we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us has turned their own way. For the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I, Saul, declare to you this day, this is the Messiah. This is the true Messiah. This is Jesus of Nazareth. He is the mighty God, wonderful counselor, prince of peace and everlasting father. He is the Christ, the anointed one. Who, being in form, 
God did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but made himself nothing. Taking on the form of a serpent and being found in human likeness, he, he humbled himself, coming obedient to the point of death. He was the death of a cross. Therefore, God has highly lifted up this man. and He has given him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory and to the praise of the Father. I shall declare this to you. Accept him. Why did Saul preach Jesus is the Son of God? Question, why wouldn't he? What else is there to preach? Saul realizes now that this has all been pointing to Jesus. And so I know that he has taken everything he knows and he is just firing towards that end. This is good. Saul does not care about his reputation anymore. He doesn't care about how he looks and getting higher and higher into the, into the, whatever. This truth has changed his life and it has changed his lifestyle. Has it changed yours? Now his preaching is filled with the Holy Spirit and the revelation of Jesus. And apparently it's also the source of his new identity and the source of, of strength for him out of that new identity. Verse 21. See, he doesn't just get judged. People try and kill him. And this is not an easy season for him. Verse 21. All who heard him were amazed. But they said, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who call upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose but to bring bound before the chief priests? Or bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength, confounded. <laughs> he confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving Jesus was, a, was the Christ. Many days had passed. The Jews plotted to kill him. And their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night, led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him through a basket. Okay. He gets judged twice in this, so we're going to lump them sort of together. He, he gets judged by people in Jerusalem and in Damascus, and, and they also are trying to kill him in Jerusalem and in Damascus. So this is kind of a similar, similar story here. Um, so I want to add to the weightiness of what's going on in Saul, so therefore the transformation of Jesus Christ will be lifted even higher in his life. He is so safe and secure in his identity of who he is that this stuff doesn't recordedly seem to really affect him that much. But let's start with verse 21, all. There's a first word, all who heard him were amazed. Who is this all? I think understanding who this is will help us to understand the gravity of the situation. See, this isn't just the Jews. This is all who were there, right? And I get that from, let me show you, 2 Corinthians 11, when Paul is talking about his, his weakness, right? He remembers this story, and he gives us this tiny insight as to the situation he was in. Let me read it to you. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 31. Paul says, In Damascus, eh, Damascus, the governor under king Eratos was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hand. Okay? This is not Jewish people. These are the Damascus people. So not only do the Jewish people not like him and, and want to kill him, he's, he's trying to be seized by the people in Damascus. 
I can only use my imagination as to why this is happening, but it's not hard, historically speaking, to find that answer, okay? Um, giving the name Eratos as the king, this is actually a person in history that's recorded. Um, and so what has happened here is, is Saul's kind of in a collision of something that's been going on between these people and the Jews. Uh, you probably know more of the story than you think. There was a guy named Herod Antipas who married a gal named Phasaelus. Good. Herod is in charge of the Jewish people, or at least most of them, or some of them, okay? Herod decides he does not like his wife anymore. He likes his half-brother Philip's wife, and so he divorces her to marry Herodias. This is where John the Baptist comes in and says, no way. And that ultimately leads to him being imprisoned and then to him being killed. You all know this story. Who is Herod's first wife is the question. Because she, Phasaelus, runs home to her dad who is King Eratos. <laughs> he does not like this. Not one bit. So he actually starts to little battles and scuffs over this deal because now he really doesn't like Herod. So, that being said, we can use our deductive reasoning or what have you to think, maybe if I'm King Eratos and I hear that this man named Saul is in my town and it's kind of a big deal to the Jewish people and they're, they're actually trying to get him right now, what am I going to do? I got a bone to pick with those guys, so I'm going to take him into my custody, and they're going to pay for him. Get him. Seize him. Go find him. And so he sends his men to find Saul. That's the fact. And now Saul has, has kind of two different, two different people group after him. As I was just trying to wonder as, as to why it's just him. And that's all I got for that. So Saul, the weightiness, that's just, that is, that the weightiness of why they're trying to get him that's, that's anxiety, of, of course, it could be. And then also the weightiness of his home people or the Jewish community plotting to kill him. This is becoming something that to me would stress me out significantly. How is he going to survive this unless he has been immediately transformed by Jesus, the Son of God? How is he going to be able to survive this as a, as a person who, who prided himself on being a Pharisee, a Pharisee, a uh, born in the tribe of Benjamin, who, who is perfect according to the law. And how is he going to, if he prides himself on his work and he prides himself on what he has done, when this all shatters down in Damascus, he's got nothing. If he has been transformed inside of his heart through the Son of God, then he is able to know who he is. Saul is able to stand up right now because he knows who he is in the Father's eyes. Do you? Hmm. This is important to me, I think, Henry, because I've been judged in my life. And it's not like some crazy or anything. It's just one of those things that just really, really hurt. I don't have to go into huge stories of my childhood, which I have in the past. But yeah, I was just at a, it's just simple. I mean, I, I was raised in, you know, my dad's a Wesleyan pastor. I was raised in his church. And and then I went to campground uh, with my best friend who was Pentecostal. And I just didn't know what was going on. I was just, I actually was just a little freaked out. And, and they 
there was a few people in that community um, the forgiveness of God has caused them to be nameless to me has they just they just were telling people I was not a Christian this is devastating to me and, <laughs> and it, it caused me to go in the spiral of just rejecting anything that was potentially a judgment even to the point of where I was actually um, trying to get you to judge me by dressing in certain ways and things just so that we got that out of the way. Um, it was weird. I think, you know, Dempster really helped me navigate through that whole deal when, when I first came in this community. And so first and foremost, if, if anything, I want everyone in this room to know that I really appreciate the not judgment that happened to me when I came into this room. I mean, guys, I had hair down to here. I was playing electric guitar with people with like an Aussie t-shirt on and stuff. I mean, you were there. And I did not receive any judgment. I received, I received Ananias' hand on my shoulder saying, Brother Dan. So let me say that first. But second, that's in my heart for you. But let me say, if you are having problems with cynicism and judgments right now, you need to stop. The world needs to see a community of people who are in an upside-down kingdom, who do not judge by appearances, who do not judge by what has happened in your past. Apparently, they couldn't get over who Saul used to be in Jerusalem and in Damascus. Stop judging people. James chapter 4, verse 12, there is one judge. He has the power to save and condemn. Who are you to judge? Luke 6. Judge and be judged. Condemn and be condemned. Forgive. And you will be forgiven. Let us be a community who really is full of forgiveness. See, Christians have a, a dangerous like privilege because we, if we're doing this thing right, are in a community that is seeing you deep down inside, who is seeing your flaws and seeing who you are because when you're in a community like that, all it can do is magnify what should be happening in your relationship and fellowship with God who sees you, who sees everything about you and you're able to just be known. But if we start holding past against each other and judging and condemning that whole thing is just completely shot ultimately i want you to know that god sees you god knows who you are god knows everything about you this would be bad if you was not a good god but god loves you <laughs> God wants to know everything about you. He wants you to know everything about him. He has accepted you, not because you did anything. Before you were a Christian, he gave his son to die for you. And now you are in the middle of being able to, to constantly praise God's grace in your life. And constantly look back and say, that happened. But look at the magnitude of God's grace in my life. Praise it for each other. Praise it for his grace in each other's life. Praise it for grace in your life. Believe God's grace into people. Believe his goodness over people that you would judge like that and think they would never be a Christian. They're not like Saul. 
I guarantee you don't know anybody killing Christians here in Grand Rapids. And Saul was saved by grace. Let us be people who are just spewing out the grace of God. Who will condemn? It is God who justifies. Nothing will separate us from his love. Romans 8. Ultimately, this is what Saul knows. I mean, he wrote Romans 8 through inspiration, but I mean, this is in him, right? And I think that this is, because if you know how God sees you being judged by people, doesn't really matter. One, because they don't really know you. Even what they do know about you doesn't even touch the amount of sin in your life. And two, they don't ultimately have control over where you go forever. So Saul knows this, and he knows how God sees him, and he is now able to accept that truth, and that will lead you to being a very humble person. How do I know this is Saul? Because, because what big deal in the church at this time would a consent to being lowered out of the window in an old basket? It would probably smell like fish. <laughs> the, the revelation of God's son over Saul's life has caused him to, to repent and just be a humble person. He is not full of pride in this moment, especially. He is not full of pride by fighting them, by saying, no, it wasn't me. It was him. He accepts the truth of his past, but he, he lives and walks in the truth of his present. Jesus, the son of God, affects your present day condition. And I know that we have other things to deal with, but there will be nothing more in this moment right now to bring me joy but to share with you the truth about how God sees you. If you're, if you're in the middle of being judged, or if you're in the middle of judging someone, or if you're in the middle of believing in lies, this will exalt God if you know this. Um, too, much, too much time is wasted in our lives believing in lies, brothers and sisters. The lies of, of our value, the lies of, of how God sees us, the lies about how, what God hears about what God hears about you. <laughs> what God hears about you is His Son interceding on your behalf day and night. What he hears about you is the groans of the spirit that words cannot express. What he hears about you is the, the spirit testifying with your spirit, Abba, Father. This is what God hears about you. Ladies and gentlemen, you are loved with a love that is unexplainable, with a love that is not earned, with a love that cannot be taken from, from anyone, an inseparable love, an ancient love that has been aimed at you before the creation of the world. A love that breathes life and value into your innermost being. Who knows the numbers of hair on your head and allows you to just be known and be free inside of him. Be seen by others and be free to do something crazy for your father. Free to do something crazy on behalf of your family. God says, I'm fond of you. I'm particularly fond of you. I am proud of you. I love you like the dad who sees his babies 
playing piano terribly and screaming, and he's got the videotape out recording them because they're just so perfect to him. Accept God's love and goodness over your heart. What's more, he sees you. He sees the blood of his perfect son resting over top of you. His royal, precious, perfect blood. He is made forever those perfect who are being made, made holy. Hebrews chapter 10. Judge others. Judge yourself. Know the truth. There's freedom in this truth. God, I pray for your truth and revelation to be sealed on these people's hearts. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> um, next, next that we're going to go to here is, is that, yeah, Saul, let me wrap that up. Being judged by the Damascinians and being judged by the Jews doesn't affect, his, doesn't affect him at all. Um, really, he is unshakably confident in who he is, and he's humble. Where the basket, and he is um, weak. We see that weakness in what happens with Barnabas. See, Paul's perspective has been changed in his immediate area by the Christ and by the Son of God. He will change your perspective. The things of this world will, will grow strangely dim. <laughs> so briefly, let me, um, let, me wrap, let me wrap this thing up by, by going into that second area of, of why Jesus is important to be the Son of God and the Messiah is because of, yes, the eternal implications. The eternal implications fuel your everyday life. Because once you have an eternal state in your mind, today is just another day in that direction, right? He has altered your perspective by blinding your eyes to the world and giving you new kingdom eyes, as he did with Saul. And now he has shifted you to, to, to constantly thinking about when, being with him for eternity. So, briefly I'm going to answer why verse 31 is in here. And, um, what time we got? Yeah, we got time. And, and, and so I think in order to, to, to really wrap up the eternal implications here for this thing, we need to understand what is meant by the Son of God and what is meant by Jesus being the Christ. Okay, so the Son of God. Jesus is... God, <laughs> all of the fullness of deity rested on, on him. This is Colossians chapter 1. All of the, the fullness of God dwelled inside of him. Jesus is begotten. This is, this is a truth that he has come from God. God, gives, God makes God. This is, this is C.S. Lewis from your Christianity, right? A uh, beaver makes a beaver, a bird makes a bird, a human makes a human, and God makes God. And so Jesus is God, put inside of the flesh, becoming a man. Right, But we need to know that this is important in regards to our eternal state because Jesus is not just a man and he is not just an angel. If that were true, we could just bypass God and, and have a man become God or we could just beat the system. Jesus is not a man that beat the system. He's not just a good prophet. He's not just a, an angel. He is God. He was worshipped coming out of the womb of Mary, right? I mean, he was worshipped in the boat. This is, that's the first commandment. You cannot worship anything other than God. Jesus was worshipped. If he's not God, we're going to be in trouble because we're worshipping him. <laughs> Jesus is 
God and every knee will bow to him. We just quoted out of Philippians 2. He is God and this, this matters because, man, you, if, if Jesus isn't God, then you, you just have a man, um, just a regular man who's sinful like you to pay for you and it's not going to go very far. He is the Christ. It's the second, second deal here. He's Christ. So he has given us life uh, and reconciled us with God. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He is, the, he is God and the Messiah is what Paul preached. And this is, this is the Christ who was foretold. This is the anointed one. This is the one who made reconciliation for us. It's so important that Saul preaches first because if he did, if this isn't true, you got nothing to go by. You have no resurrection. You have no, you have no Savior. And... If you do not have Jesus and he is not God, you don't have God. Let me show you. 1 John 2, 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father also. Think about that. 1 John 5, 12. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son of God has not life. So if you do not have the Son of God, You have no eternal life, and you have no life. If you have the Son of God, you immediately have life, and you have eternal life. Jesus is the key to our eternal state. And the church, in verse 31, walked in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. How does this magnify Jesus as the Son of God? How does this magnify Jesus as the Son of God is a question. Because if you do not have the fear of the Lord in you, you do not know God as you ought to know him. Maybe you do not know him. (laughs) And maybe you don't even need Jesus then at that point. I think that we, we should talk about the fear of the Lord. We should be in this. This is not Old Testament. This is not something that is old school. The fear of God needs to be in us. Ladies and gentlemen, I apologize for in August when I preached on Philippians chapter 2 for not diving into this deeper. It just wasn't in my heart at that time. Fear God. Maybe you don't know who he is, so I'm going to go from Acts chapter 9 back to Acts chapter 1 in situations where if you are reading this and not feeling the fear of God, you're not reading it. Follow me. We need to know an awesome and powerful God who is to be feared in order to make sense of our whole salvation. Who are you being saved from? In chapter 9, we have a God who is able to just burst out of heaven with a light so brilliant that it causes you to be blind for three days and changes the entire course of your life. Fear him. We have a God also in chapter 8 who, who shows up and just takes Philip wherever he wants to take him and plants him there and says, do what I want you to do. We have a God who is to be feared, who gives Philip the power in the beginning of chapter 8 to cast out shrieking demons. Fear them. I want to fear him who has the power to throw them into the abyss. Fear God who has the power to completely entrance you while you're being murdered and stoned when you look up and see him appear. That's power. Fear God who in 519 can break you out of jail in the middle of the night with no effort at all. Fear a God who, who will drop you like Ananias and Sapphira. 
five five, three six. Fear a God who is able to just. He wants a crippled man who's been crippled his entire life to walk. He will walk. Fear a God who will cause your voice to be translated into many different languages from wherever these people, wherever you might have come from. In two six, fear a God who will who will hijack your prayer meeting at the beginning of two with a presence that can only be described as the sound of rushing wind and it will cause, who cause fire to be resting upon the people in this prayer room. Fear him. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter eight says, do not fear what they fear or be in dread what they dread. But the Lord of hosts him you shall regard as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. We must fear him. Trade your arrogance for humility. Trade your flippancy for reverence. Mighty God is in control of everything. Every atom that is entire, entire this universe is in direct control to this God. And he can turn every single molecule against you. And if you do not have the Son of God, that's what will happen. Acts 1, 8, last one. Fear a God who promises to have everything that he is living inside of you. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling because you have no idea what's inside of you willing and working for his good pleasure. God lives in you. Terrifying. To walk in that will cause you to have a vigilance and will cause you to be completely focused on what on what's he's laying before you. And walking in the truth of who the Son of God is, he sent the Holy Spirit to comfort you in the midst of it. We need to know this so that we know God as we should and that we know Jesus who is the answer to God's wrath. So, let me close. Let this be the life-changing truth that you preach immediately every day, even if people are denying you and wanting to kill you. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Christ who has bore the iniquity of us all and has diverted the wrath of God onto himself that was rightfully deserved for you and I and has sent his comforting spirit to guarantee your salvation until the day of the Lord. Let's pray. Galatians chapter 1 verse 16 says that when it pleased the Lord to reveal his son to me. This is speaking, this is Saul speaking. When it pleased the father to reveal his son to me to preach to the Gentiles, I went out into the desert. The revelation of the son is directly related to you, God, revealing it to us. I think of, of verses like in Matthew 17, where Jesus says to Peter, who do you say I am, Peter? And he says, you are the Son of God, the Christ. And Jesus responds by saying, Simon Bar-Jonah, that was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by the Father. You ultimately, God, are the reason why we're able to, to know this truth, this massive truth of your son. And so I pray, 
I pray it, of course, with just your goodness that is enduring forever that you reveal to us your son. Speak everything that your son is over our hearts. Everything that he did for us. Cause us to not want to turn in any other direction but towards that and towards you. You've spoken to us through your word and now we're going to speak back to you in song.